welcome to Concerning CAMS, brought to you by Education Pathways. I'm Kevin Connickney, your host. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's get started. Our topic today is COVID-19 Association General Exclusions. I have the pleasure to be here with Jeff Sanders. Jeff is Client Advisor with Gulf Shore Insurance. Welcome, Jeff, to Concerning CAMS, and could you please start by telling us about your background in the insurance industry? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Um, I've been with Gulf Shore about three and a half years now. I started, well, prior to that, I was in the service industry. I actually worked in managing golf clubs, so I always sort of have a service background, and that's really the take that, that I try to bring to my clients. But Gulf Shore, it's been a great experience for me. As you know, a big area of our focus and and today is community association insurance. We work with about 700 associations, so it's a really big part of what we do kind of in a a day-in and day-out basis. Um, You know, hopefully today we'll we'll talk about exclusions and then COVID-19, obviously a big topic in the industry right now, certainly. Jeff, as we get started today, what exactly is an exclusion when we speak about the insurance policy? Yeah, good, good question, Kevin, and a really good place to start. You know, it's it's interesting when when someone, and in this case, an association, generally purchases an insurance policy. There tends to be this assumption that everything is covered for every cause of loss, every risk, every piece of property that they own, and that's really not the case when you actually dig into things. Um, and there's various reasons for that. Y- you know, on the surface, one might look at it and say, "Well, that's." typical insurance company, right? They're trying to get out of paying my claim. Um, They don't want to shell out any dollars that they don't need to. But generally, if we're working with good insurance companies, there's reasons for their exclusions. And, And really what an exclusion is, is it's technically a policy provision that eliminates coverage for a certain type of risk or a certain type of scenario, right? So what the insurance company's doing is they're just narrowing the scope of coverage per their appetite. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, it could have to do with your geographical area. Some insurance companies simply don't have a risk for maybe natural disasters that are going to happen. Some uh, events and scenarios are just uninsurable by nature. You take war, for example, right? That's a standard exclusion on every property policy. War in general is going to be widespread disaster, right? It's mathematically impossible for an underwriter to figure out how to insure that, to, to take up enough premium to have it make sense should war arise, right? So there's natural occurrences like that. Some other factors might be frequency of claims. If you're a condominium association, and for example, you've had a lot of water subrogation claims, you might have your general liability policy carrier start to exclude coverage for water claims, right? So they look at trends and they may recognize, hey, you've got a problem there. We're not going to insure you for that until you address that issue. And then really kind of a big factor here, especially in Southwest Florida, where we call home, are market conditions, right? So if we look at a period of time from 2017 through 2019, it was the single most costly three-year period on record for insurance companies. A lot of that had to do with uh, Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Michael, and other natural disasters that have happened. So as the as the marketplace tightens up and gets harder, as we call it, there's less competition. Carriers start to pull away some of those ancillary coverages, and they start sliding in exclusions, right? They try to narrow that coverage. So uh, the obvious follow-up question then is, COVID-19, is that excluded? Yeah, so COVID is a really, really interesting area, and, and you ask a great question. 
it's so interesting with insurance too, because we really don't have any precedent for a pandemic, at least not in my or your lifetime. You know, everybody refers to to the you know the the flu pandemic and what 1917, 1918. Well, it's really a different world back then, certainly as far as insurance is structured. So um, to kind of break into COVID nineteen we'll kind of look at two different policies, right? When we look at it from your property policy perspective and your property policy, again, remember, is covering the physical assets of the association for uh, physical damage. So think things like hurricane, fire, et cetera. When we get into COVID-19 and how coverage might apply for the property policy, generally, more than likely, there's not going to be coverage. Almost every property policy is going to have a pretty standard virus exclusion. Um, so if you have that virus exclusion on the property policy, you can bet there's no coverage. Even if you're lucky enough not to have that, that exclusion, more than likely, COVID-19 is not going to be a trigger for your property policy. You know, when we look at the trigger being physical damage, the big question is, is COVID-19 physical damage? I'm not going to be the one to determine that. That'll get decided somewhere in the courts. Um, but more than likely not. That's from a property perspective. Liability, your general liability, is really kind of a whole nother question. And this is what um, us in the insurance world have been kind of looking at and wondering and, and asking questions where these types of scenarios are going. So the scenario for a liability with COVID-19, I'll kind of throw this example out there. Let's say you have a unit owner who lives in the building. They have tested positive for COVID-19. They're ill. So they come home to the building. They're going to quarantine in their unit, right? Well, as they come home, they walk through the front door. They go through the common area. They take the elevator upstairs. That's the only way to their unit, right? They quarantine. Days go by, maybe a week or so. You've got um, other unit owners who now are coming down sick, testing positive. Well, they might, those other unit owners might allege that the association was negligent because they didn't protect them either from the other person who was positive. Maybe they didn't clean the common areas. Um, maybe they didn't bring in a third party to do excessive scrubbing and things like that. These are all, you know, potential liabilities. Whether or not the association is guilty of it or not is a, is a whole other legal question. Um, but you need to have the coverage in order to defend yourself. When we look at general liability policies, there's a really common exclusion out there, and it's known as a communicable disease exclusion. Um, I would say more than half of the general liability policies for associations have that or some form of that. Maybe it's a, it's a specific virus exclusion. So again, um, they say what it's a lawyer's favorite term. It depends, right? If you have the exclusion, there's certainly no coverage. If you don't have the exclusion, well, it's, it's just going to depend. So it's a real, real, real gray area. Jeff, what are some common exclusions that CAMS or association board members might not be aware of? There's probably a lot, but I'll try and touch on a few that are at least um, more unique and, and differentiate from carrier to carrier. When we, when we kind of look at typical exclusions, they really fit into two buckets, right? We, we really have one bucket, which is the standard exclusions. Your property policy versus the association down the road is all going to have the same standard exclusions. You know, we're talking about war. We're talking about flood, which is why you have to go buy a flood policy separately. But then you have what I really call the carrier-specific exclusions. That's where your policy is going to differ from the association down the road, even if it's from the same company, right? Um so we'll spend a little bit of time talking about those. One that goes into kind of the standard bucket that a lot of people forget about or don't think about is maintenance or wear and tear, 
right? A lot of people forget that wear and tear or maintenance is simply not covered by insurance. The insurance company looks at that and says, hey, you know, it's your job to keep to have the upkeep of your property and to take care of your property where you're not in the business of maintaining your property, right? So that's a big one that people forget about. Um, another one that we're seeing more and more often these days, again, as, as the market sort of tightens up and how insurance companies are sort of narrowing coverage even further, one example of that is wind-driven rain. So, Wind-driven rain generally is a standard exclusion, but for years and years now, carriers have always added it back really as a value add to be competitive in the marketplace. So it's something that has always been accessible to us. Now we're seeing quotes, and I'm doing reviews for associations I don't work with, and we catch these things, wind-driven rain is excluded. What exactly is wind-driven rain? Okay, so... You're no stranger to Southwest Florida here. We have thunderstorms. We obviously have hurricanes and, and tropical storms. When there's rain and there's severe winds at 40, 50, 60 miles an hour, the rain is literally blowing in sideways, blowing into your building. The water might work its way through the seals and the caulking of windows and doors and things like that. Well, when that water enters that way and works its way down and, and gets your drywall wet, maintenance or, uh, insurance generally looks at that as a maintenance issue, not an insurable event. But if we can have wind-driven rain added back onto the policy, now we have coverage for it. We'll never get the full building limits if you have a million-dollar value building. We won't get a million dollars of wind-driven rain coverage, but we can generally get a sublimit, maybe $150,000 or $250,000 endorsed back on, either just by asking for no premium or we might have to pay some additional premium. But it's usually well worth the additional dollars if you do have to pay for it. Um, you know, another example that we see very often, it sort of fits in that same category as the wind-driven rain, is sewer or drain backup. This is a really big one. Um, I'll give you a quick example of exactly what sewer or drain backup is. A client of mine back in June experienced their first real big rain event of the summer. Okay. We had, uh, we had several inches of rain and probably a 30 minute time span for them. They're actually a master association. So they're a golf club as, as well as a, a homeowners association. And they had, uh, they have this large paved patio and they've got pavers on it. And it has drains in it. So when the big rain happened, what they hadn't realized is that some of these drains were blocked. The drains simply couldn't keep up with the amount of rainfall, and it started backing up into their building. And as you know, once you enter a building, it's level. There's no pitch. So when the water enters, it doesn't just flow right back out. So they ended up with about an inch and two inches of water through a large portion of the first floor of the building. It's a complete mess. Um, generally, that would be excluded because, again, it's a backup of a, of a drain. It wasn't a construction defect issue. The drains simply were blocked up. Having this coverage got them coverage for that event. So really, really important. I can see that it is. What can an association do to mitigate these exclusion examples you gave? Does the property manager or the board need to learn about all these things? The quick response to that is, no, that's what the insurance professional is for. That's what the agent is for, right? A board member and, and an association manager, they certainly don't have to be experts on this stuff. Um, hopefully, you know, as you have communication with your agent, you're aware of things that are out there. Um, so maybe you can ask some pointed questions, but you should be relying on your agent, and particularly an agent that has a specialization in community associations. Um, not all insurance is created equal, and not all agents and agencies are created equal. You really want to work with somebody who works with several associations, has great experience in the field. That way they know what to look for. They know what's changing in the marketplace as things are changing. Um, and they can have those discussions with, with your individual association to make sure you're covered to the best of your ability. 
Jeff, thank you for joining us today on Concerning CAMS to walk us through COVID-19 association exclusions. If listeners have additional questions, how can they best reach you or your associates at Gulf Shore Insurance? Yeah, thanks, Kevin. It's been a pleasure being here. Um, they can always find us on our company website. That's www.gulfshoreinsurance.com. That's Gulf like the Gulf of Mexico. LinkedIn is a good place to find me. I've got some other video topics that I've done as far and also some uh, papers that I've put together. And they can always send me an email at uh, jsanders at gulfshoreinsurance.com. Thanks, Jeff. And we'll include that contact information in the episode notes for today's podcast.